Hello and welcome to Just the Basics, the podcast about everything music. I'm Tommy Bowles. I'm Matt Shaw. This week we are going to talk a little bit about stage fright and performance anxiety. I hope that you listened to our podcast last week and enjoyed it because we had a lot of fun making it and uh, we're going to keep you doing these. Hopefully once a week we'll have one out for everybody and uh, hopefully they keep getting on better. I have a feeling they will. Certainly hope so. <laughs> um, this past week in music, I mean, I didn't really do, I didn't do a whole lot. I did a lot of practicing this past week, but then uh, I did play a church gig this past week. I think you, you said you did too, Matt, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in the, you know, the worship service. Right, right. Same difference, basically. Did you play bass or guitar for that? Oh, guitar for that one. Guitar? Okay, gotcha. I, I know about you were talking about bass, but... last week, but... Yeah, it depends on which piano player is playing for which uh, instrument I use. Gotcha, that makes sense. So the one that plays really heavy on the left hand, you'd pick take a pick up the guitar. <laughs> oh, oddly enough, it it's kind of the other way around, but that's because one, uh, the heavy-handed one, takes over too much of the groove, so it's just kind of a better idea to fill out the bass end. Right. And the and because of the guitar, just kind of sounds useless when there's just no groove happening. So, right, yeah, I understand that. I completely get that. Though sometimes I feel like my bass sounds useless when there's too much low end going on from the piano. Kind of just depends on the situation. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I wonder why. I'm like, why do I even come up here? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, that's too funny. we got good news about the podcast, so we're now on Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn, and now on iTunes as well. So I'm super excited about that. Now people can actually listen to us besides my website. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have a chance of fighting. Yeah, right. And there's also the Podbean app, too. I know a lot of people use that for podcasts. We're on there as well. And um, please share our post on social media. That way other people can see it, too. All your friends. Yeah, exactly. Tag everybody in it, you know, or anything, just to get it out there so other people can start to listen to us. We we feel like we have got good information to share with people, so we want to sh- get as many people on board as we can. Yeah, and if you if, if we don't already know you, like, I mean, we're just starting out, so email us, introduce yourself, we'll talk to you. We don't bite. It'd be yeah. kind of hard to bite yeah, over an email anyway. Whatever. Exactly. DM us on Instagram or tag us on Twitter or Facebook or something. We'll uh, love to hear what you think. Yeah. Um, like I said, this week we want to talk a little bit about stage fright. We're going to get into it a little bit quicker than last week. Um, I know stage fright is a thing that a lot of people deal with, not just kids and younger musicians, but adults too, dealing with performance anxiety, stage fright, public speaking fears, all that stuff. And I, I saw a study that said, um, yeah, this is just crazy to me. It said that more people in the in America are afraid of public speaking and being on stage than they are of death, which is crazy. Exactly. I I can't <laughs> get that at all. But <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> I know it can be really difficult for some people, um, and uh, we want to help everybody get some strategies, some ideas to help handle that, so they don't have to deal with that fear anymore. Uh, I know Matt, you just had your uh, the recital for your students, and I'm sure that you had some of that. What what was that like for you with your students there? Oh, I I definitely had like a range of uh, 
some of them thought they're little Mozarts, and I was proud of them just because, like, they have only performed maybe once before, and most of them it was their very first time. So um, seeing those that were able to just go up there and do their best and handle it well was really nice. But I also had a whole bunch that approached the piano or guitar, and their hands are just shaking. And uh, and for some, because they're all kids, they're all. Uh, I don't think I had anyone. I think the youngest was four years old, so that's pretty young. And then the oldest, oh, wow, six, yeah. 16. Um, so the older students were probably the most nervous because they care the most. And then said four-year-old was also very nervous because he realized, oh, I don't have stickers where my notes are for this grand piano. And I'm so <laughs> small that I can barely see my sheet music. And it was adorable. He played Jingle Bells. <laughs> he did fine. That's awesome. I mean, he got he got real lost, but he made it through. He played enough notes to cover a Jingle Bells. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the point of that was we wanted him to have the experience. It wasn't about his playing. But uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we'll get into it a little bit more. But um, probably the most nervous one I had was someone who had worked really hard on an original arrangement, had a lot of pride in it, uh, original arrangement of a, uh, Lady Gaga song. And she was, it, it was definitely like her baby. She, she made the choice of me playing guitar to accompany it. And, um, she made pretty much every creative choice of how she would play it, what parts of the song we'd cut, um, how she would play the melodies, um, the dynamics. And she put a lot of hard work into it. And, uh, was definitely able to play at a level that I would consider it uh, ready to just be recorded and published. Like she was playing it that well, especially right. in our lessons. And uh, I was really impressed because uh, I don't think I mentioned last week, but most of my students have only been playing their instruments for six months. Like I introduced them to the instrument and she's one of those that has just started. And already I'm blown away by how quickly she's picked up and, I won't take as much credit as much as I'll give it to their practice time because oh, of course, I, that's always I can, t- I can tell them what to do until the cows come home, but it's really up to the student to practice. And uh, But anyway, I mean, we can keep moving along. It, uh, I know for you, you don't really have necessarily a performance anxiety as much as you feel nerves, right? Right, exactly. So that's one thing I wanted to point out is so, – performance anxiety and stage fright are different than just being nervous for something. Like for me, I've never really felt afraid of going up on stage. Um, I've been super, super nervous before. I remember we were playing in Chicago. I don't think you were in the jazz band at that point yet. Um, That was the semester before I joined in. Gotcha. So when we were in Chicago, so you, you didn't, you don't know about this then. Um, I was about, we were getting ready to go on stage and, I was super nervous because the Count Basie Orchestra was going to be performing on that same stage the next night. And so I wanted to blow it out of the water, you know, because I'm like, man, this is the first jazz festival I've ever played at. This is going to be a ton of fun. So I'm getting ready to go and I'm practicing and my hands were cold because it's February in Chicago and I was stressing out. I was like, what the heck? But I wasn't afraid of what people were going to think about me. I was afraid that I was going to make a mistake and let my band down. So it was a little bit different. I wasn't the performance part didn't freak me out. It was 
myself. I didn't think that, you know, I was worried about what I was going to do. But uh, so I was super nervous and I was trying to put the strap on my base so I could walk out there and I put it on the base and I'm standing there. And next thing I know, the strap comes off the base and it falls face first straight into the floor. And uh, oh, I was no. like, oh, no, so I just stared at it for a second. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I thought I had just broke my bass before I was going on stage. And it was the only bass that I had at that time. I was like, uh oh, what do I do? So um, one of the drummers came over and picked it up and handed it to me. He's like, it's all right. It's all right. So I got the strap back on there and I tuned it back up again and it worked. It still sounded fine. I played it and did fine. But I was super, super nervous for that. And then dropping my bass did not help at all. It took me until about halfway through the first song when I finally calmed down enough to actually play the right notes and relax. Right. But yeah, I've never really had that fear of going up on stage. But I also view, I mean, it's, I think that's just about how that I look at music and how I look at performing versus other people. I think it just is slightly different which helps me be less nervous about it. I um, think... Go ahead. I think that like uh, I definitely feel the other side of it that where I definitely had uh, performance anxiety. And um, when I started out music, which I explained to quite a length in the blog post that we'll put up at some point, but uh, I wanted to be a singer originally, and um, I didn't really go for that too much so it was just the dream that i had in my mind of being a rock star singer and uh (laughs) but i already knew even from the point that uh i had that in my mind that i didn't have it in me to get in front of people and sing so it's kind of difficult to get really good at that when you just don't have it in you to um even bother so uh right i started with guitar uh because that was the next coolest thing in the in a rock band, and uh, <laughs> um, I remember I did a uh, maybe at most two lessons in middle school, but I don't even remember that, which is why I don't even consider those lessons. And uh, it was directly before that uh, that batch of um, the school's students were doing a recital performance, and of course, I'd like literally just started. And uh, my fingers hurt, so already I hated guitar and <laughs> didn't understand that you have to get calluses um, emotionally too. So, <laughs> That's and I why got I up didn't on like st- guitar too. Yeah, it, 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 it. and I got up on stage, and I re- I remember whatever I was playing was just it was more of it was you know one of those kitty book exercise songs, not really an actual song, right? And uh, that was mentally. Uh, difficult to deal with because all my friends were there because the entire school uh listened to that and they didn't have me mic'd or anything so no one could even hear that it was just like what on earth am i doing but (laughs) um and i was using an acoustic so therefore it would have needed a mic but uh right someone didn't know that but i'm kind of glad they didn't and then (laughs) uh and i was self maybe they did know that and just didn't mic it on purpose that would have been for the best. <laughs> I would appreciate whoever did that. So if you're out there and you know that you did that for me, cool on you, bro. Um, and then um, in high school, like, I didn't perform that much. And uh, in like junior or senior year, I can't remember which one for the life of me because I have a terrible memory, um, is when I started 
leading the praise team with some friends in uh, our youth group at church. And I don't really remember being that nervous about it too much, though, because I was just playing guitar. I only remember any point when I needed to try to help someone with singing that I would feel like I was going to have a panic attack. And uh, But otherwise, I was... You know, I was like the oldest guy there, uh, had a bunch of friends, and I felt pretty comfortable and was starting to get used to just playing, even though looking back, my playing must have been so bad. <laughs> I, I don't want to know what I was actually playing back then, and uh, and I hope that it isn't as bad as I expect that it was, but thankfully there's very limited recorded video or anything to show me how uh, embarrassing it was back then. But um, by the time I got to Liberty, that's when I think the anxiety really started to show, even for guitar, because I started to have to play in front of people that I knew really knew what they were doing and were listening right. to me specifically. Um, that, so and all, you're playing more complicated music. There's higher expectations mm-hmm. on you. Music school mm-hmm. is like a pressure cooker for music, I mean, for a musician. Yep, it's like all the pressures that you could ever have of music is on you at that exact moment, and there's nothing you can do about it except hopefully do well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like either gonna thrive or you're gonna get destroyed by that. Right, and uh, so every every time that we had a uh, a jury with the guitar faculty, like that was always. Mm-hmm even up until when I actually graduated and I was much more comfortable with playing, that was always the most stressful thing because they were guys that I respected and uh, and I knew that they knew what they were talking about. And I also knew that they all really loved listening to me play, but that only meant that they were listening closely <laughs> in those yeah, moments when I, I'm like, they're listening to judge my playing. They like hearing my playing, so they're not zoning out. They're looking very closely at every little technique, every strum, and uh and they're really paying really close attention and uh and I always appreciated that that they weren't just sitting back and they were like uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. oh you're done good good job go away it was never yeah, like my that piano juries were like, yeah my piano juries they just kind of sat there and made a few notes but I could tell that they were just thinking oh gosh please get this over with because it was so bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah and oh, I man. uh so for you, it's a little bit, it's also a great example, actually, to talk about that a little bit, because you kind of went through that more as so as an adult than as a child. So it gives us both ends of the spectrum to talk about. Back then when I was a kid, like I just didn't do uh, performing that much. If I ever did something like a musical or whatever, which was not frequent at all, it was in a group context. So now I'm like, if I sing, it has to be with other people. And I know that I'm capable of singing. And uh, and I'll sing alone in the car for fun all day long, but I cannot even bother to walk up to a microphone to try on my own because I can't even access my uh, my vocal range if I do that. And I've already learned that from uh, one time when I was asked to be the worship leader at uh, my parents' church as like a kind of a internship project kind of a thing i think it was actually for a liberty class i just don't really um recall what specifically it was for but um uh it was still fun like i got to plan all the songs i uh played guitar for it 
I didn't use a capo because I was too proud to even try uh, stooping that low. Um, <laughs> sorry oh, to any man. listeners that that use a capo, but bad, 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 bad. Um, Capos and tabs. <laughs> snicker, snicker, snicker. Um, but uh, I remember that uh, I didn't. I don't. I didn't like practice singing or anything for when I led that. And I made sure that the keys were comfortable enough. But as soon as it was time for the actual service, like I survived, but never once did I actually sing within my register. I more of spoke sang, which is what most people do. But I'm not content with myself doing it when I know that I know how to get to my singing register. And I literally can't. Like something in me physically shuts down when it's in front of people. So. Right. That's why I became more of an instrumentalist because I discovered that I don't really get those feelings at all with a guitar in my hands. And that's pretty much the only way that I can even sing a little bit in front of people is the comfort of hiding behind my guitar. And uh, I can, I can relate to that. I kind of feel the same way when I have to speak in front of people, I get a lot more nervous than when I have to play. I feel like my bass does the talking for me. And so I don't have to use my words. But it's a little bit different, you know, it's, I don't know, I I kind of, I completely understand what you're saying with that. So how did you, because I know it seems like you don't have, from what I've seen recently, it seems like you don't have the same sort of anxiety that you used to have. You seem a lot calmer when you go to pick up your guitar and play. What did you do? What did you tell yourself that helped you get through that? I think it started out that, because years through liberty it uh i was always anxious when i played even guitar like that right that hiding behind guitar minds that hadn't come up like uh playing in worship music and stuff i was still really nervous even though that stuff was super easy for me to play and i was playing much more difficult stuff with mr spencer um i would still be really anxious when playing in front of my peers and um and always wanted to impress people while also making sure that I uh, supported whatever team I was in. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it'll go into more detail in the the introduction blog that I wrote, but there was also a time at Liberty where some criticisms came about that really uh, broke my confidence (laughs) about midway through Liberty. And uh, that goes into a little bit more detail, but we'll just fast forward to when I I did join the uh, jazz program and was working more closely and more focused with Mr. Spencer and was honestly just getting more complimented and working with other people. And uh, I think I'm lucky that I was just surrounded by you and the other guys in the program who, regardless of how I was playing, were just positive about me being on the team and not... Uh, not ignoring me, on really. <laughs> I mean, th- th- that's really kind of how how it always was. Is that uh, if it wasn't for joining Round Jericho, where people didn't treat me like I wasn't there at all, I don't know how far I would have gotten to beat my anxiety because it was mostly that I just kind of forgot about it in a way because I was like, people want to hear me play now, and uh, even when I make mistakes people don't seem to be um, noticing that much. Like I can 
figure out ways of making up for those mistakes. And it's more so that if I make a mistake, uh, a mistake, then I'm just experimenting. And uh, no, this is not the, you're just playing jazz. So no one notices. This is the, I was experimenting and it just didn't work out kind of a thing. Like that one right. time when uh, I uh, very foolishly um, overlapped Hummin and Chameleon at the same time. And yeah. I uh, accidentally put that, I, I think, I don't remember which one we were playing. I think it was, I think we were playing Chameleon and mm -hmm. I threw in Hummin and I so much so accidentally started it overlapping in the wrong key it would have worked if i thought about it right but i thought about it wrong and i totally messed up and uh <laughs> I, I figured that I out remember much that. Later. i remember giving you this look like what on earth are we doing i was trying to make it work so hard and i was like why isn't this working this should just work and then later on i figured out oh you idiot you put it in the wrong key but uh yeah. <laughs> um that would do that it right there yeah 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 but the just letting myself do that and express myself on stage uh, helped a lot. But I think um, for the times afterwards where there was just big events that definitely put the anxiety on me, the simple methods of breathing slowly, thinking okay. about um, any compliments you've ever been given, that really does help. It, it might sound cheesy, but if ever, anyone ever told you, hey, good job, think about those moments. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Don't think about... a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Just remember like all the successes you've had before and remember that you've been playing more since that point, so your playing is better now. Right. And um, you will impress those people more in that moment than you did last time. As long as you've right. been practicing, you've already gotten in more time. So you're good to go. And um, if you have a song that's in the set that uh, you've worked hard on, but you know is difficult, just breathe. <laughs> um, yeah. If you're totally not ready for that song and you, um, and you have the option, then you might need to cut it if you're like, I didn't practice it at all. I don't know it. Well, then mm -hmm. maybe it's time to admit that it'll be a train wreck and go ahead and cut that one tune you've refused to work on. But right. if you did work on it, never cut it. Never, ever, right. ever cut a song that you're scared of. Just play the doggone thing. If you mess it up, who cares? No one will remember. Right, of it course. really won't. And it might be like, oh, no, I didn't get that one note in the tricky lick of uh of spain it, i was in the middle of it and i hit one note wrong or one rhythm wrong and doggone it i ruined the whole thing and chick korea has come to cut off my head <laughs> no he's not and also your audience didn't notice and um, one of the most important things that i um learned from dr brennan when i uh, studied under him for uh, a week intensive is that he explained to me that um you have to put in context that over the course of a performance, you probably play one to two to three, who even knows how many thousands of notes. And you yeah. will most likely remember the one note or two that you got wrong, but the audience will only remember the thousands of notes that you got right and won't even notice that note that you got wrong. 
Yeah, exactly. And they won't even, most of the time, your audience will have no idea how you got all those notes right in the first place. And they're so overwhelmed by being impressed with your uh, skill, even even if you're at a young age, like you've been playing for a year and you get up there and you perform like my students, their parents were so overjoyed, even though almost, I don't think I had a single student that didn't have at least one mistake in their play. But my right. boss, who has been, who uh, she got her degree at Eastman and has studied for a long time and taught for a long time, was overjoyed by my students. My coworkers were overjoyed, and they're all wonderful players and very talented. The parents and other students' parents also impressed. And meanwhile, in my mind, I know that I heard the notes that they might not be happy with, and I know the students did because I've taught them to uh, really pay close attention and not ignore themselves. But the audience is still so happy and so impressed and just like, wow, how did you do that? Um, And yeah, there are times when you play in front of people that have been playing for 50, 60 years and they do hear it, but unless they're a total butt face, they're not going to judge you for it either. Yeah, exactly. Um, There are people that can be totally grumpy, and what I tell you for that is you have to ignore it. The Beatles got turned down for a record deal. Um, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. (laughs) All all the those big wigs out there, they had failures of people that didn't actually believe in them. So it's kind of the same deal with just your own music, no matter how big you ever get, is if people are criticizing you and it's not constructive, they really are not worth your time. There's a reason that they're being mean to you like that. And it's not because they don't like your playing. It's because they were probably looking for a reason to criticize and be grumpy. And you don't need to deal with that. What you need is someone who will look at your playing and constructively criticize you in ways of, hey, you could do this better, or why don't you try this? Like the way that Mr. Right. Spencer used to evaluate our uh, our playing. Yeah. Where he was never like, dude, you that. sucked. It was never like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes right. he'd say that out of amusement, but it was more of, that was a sarcastic way of saying, good job, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's not to say that the uh, negative feedback is not valid and it doesn't make sense, but the people you want to keep close to you and keep their feedback constantly coming are ones that are going to frame it in a way that is going to help you get better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're kind of on the Tommy side of things where you only get nerves from performing and such, then that negative feedback won't hit you that hard. And yeah, you should listen to it. Like if someone tells you, wow, you played that really bad and it doesn't bother you that much. Well, then think about it a little bit and let yourself take the, uh, that negative feedback. But, um, from someone who has been, have who has had their musicianship totally challenged by people to then go and be in, every jazz ensemble in the university and be getting a bunch of praise from the faculty and stuff. It sometimes when people are negative with you, it's, uh, it's not as worth your time as you might think. And sometimes it's difficult because it will become from authority figures that you feel like you should be able to trust. Um, so right. you, you have to be very careful with your own mindset and how you approach these things. And I don't have, 
every answer in the book because I still get anxiety, uh, especially if I'm in charge of a uh, performance, then that's a lot more pressure on me. And the first song, when it starts, usually I do have to take a nice deep breath before I get it going. In the recitals, I was nervous for the sake of my students. Right. Because I was already so proud of what they'd done, and I knew how well they could do, and I was nervous for them to be nervous. And you mm-hmm. feel those sorts of things. I'm sure that I'll get over that in time. It was just it was the first time I'd ever had my students, like my work, uh, put on the on the block right. to be judged, and uh, and it's a really weird feeling because. <laughs> it's out of your control at that point. Um, right, sure, I, I I accompanied most of them, so there was some responsibility on my shoulders for making sure they sounded good. But I trusted myself completely to be able to accompany them. It was mostly like, wow, I I can't fix their notes if they totally train wreck this. I can't help them anymore. Like now, it's completely up to how much work they put in and how much they listen to what I told them and. It's a it's a really incredible experience, really. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember for me, the most anxiety I ever felt before a performance was my hearing for my senior recital. That was the most an- anxious I ever felt for any sort of performance because I knew everything that I'd worked on for four years hinged on that day. Mm-hmm. That, and that I was, was the big so one. nervous. Yep. Um, but the way that I deal with those sort of things is a little bit different. Um, cause I don't, like I said, we've said before, I don't really get anxiety too much. I get, I get nerves sometimes, but I try to use those, try to focus those nerves. Cause I, if I didn't feel nervous, then I, I would be, I wouldn't be sharp. You know what I mean? Like when I'm not nervous at all, I just kind of float through it. And that's when I make my most mistakes. I, I don't know why I don't focus as much. Um, but I, I was told while I was in high school when I was learning how to play my band director, used to say all the time, he would say, trust your training. And that has stuck with me ever since then. Basically, what he meant by that was, you've put the work in, you know what you're doing, you know where your fingers are supposed to go, you know how your mouth is supposed to move, you know what the words are, the chords are, whatever it was that you're doing. You knew what it was. So just trust that what you worked on is right, and it'll come out. Kind of on that note, like some of the best compliments that I ever received that I would always think about was... uh, the gigs that we'd have where afterwards people would be talking to me and they'd say, your playing is really sounding like Mr. Spencer's like, wow, you're, you must've really paid <laughs> close attention to how he plays. Cause your soloing sounds so nice, like the way that he does it. And that's so cool. And, um, and that's not something that I intentionally went after. Like I wholeheartedly, believe in not copying someone else's playing but instead take all of your inspirations and meld them into yourself like never be like i'm going to be the miles davis of guitar playing no you won't right you'll always be you anyway so you should never go out with the sole purpose of copying someone else's tone and approach and all of that just take everything and find your own way. But it was still really encouraging to hear that despite me not actively trying to copy Mr. Spencer, that his training had influenced my playing so much so that I was sounding like I was playing professionally from 
his kind of playing, even though I hadn't been playing very long and that he had affected me that much and colored my approach. So you really can trust when you've worked hard that, especially if you come from someone that is a, knows what they're doing, or if you uh, take your time, if you're self-taught to work on the right things and find good inspirations, Mm -hmm. it's going to affect your playing a whole lot, especially in improvisational music like we're used to, where uh, you make things up on the fly and you don't plan out every single note. Uh, Then it really does depend on your ear and what you want the music to sound like. So, right. It it works. It's a trust That's, your yourself and your background. Yeah, it's a hundred percent true. I mean, the, the harder you work, the more it's going to show when you perform. Because it, you could play it perfect in the practice room a hundred times in a row, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to play it perfect on stage because you have all these other factors that go on. But the harder you work in the practice room, the more likely you are to play it perfect on stage. Um, yeah, I I always have the the mindset that. I have to have it better than perfect in the practice room because no matter what, it's always one notch lower on stage. What usually ends up being the best, uh, at least in my experience, is that the uh, the improvisational side of things, that's where the magic happens when you're performing. Like there, There'll just be those moments where the whole band clicks together and something happens that could never happen in a practice room anyway. I mean... It could if right, you're all playing together, but it can't happen to you alone. Um, but I've always found that my playing is always like one notch lower than it was in the practice room, if not like several I, because of some weird happenstance of me slipping and falling on my butt or something. <laughs> yeah, I always feel like that too. That's why in the practice room, I try to work on stuff faster than I'm going to play it on stage. That yeah, way that, I can play it relaxed on stage and be nervous in the, fit, in the practice room, you know? That's what I did with uh, some of my students is I'd be like, okay, we're going to play this at maybe like 0.25% faster than we'll actually do up there. And when they get through that and they're like, wow, that was really fast. I was like, yeah, but you hit all of your notes. So when we get on stage now, you're going to be fine. And the other thing I explained to them is, uh, which most of my older students, I started the songs. So I set the tempo, but I did explain to all of them is that, there is a tendency that if you're starting the song and you just aren't thinking about it too much, you probably will start it a little fast. You might start it slow, but you'll probably rush and go a little fast. Yeah, more than likely. Yep. And so you have to be ready if you're the one starting that song and you're not ready for your own playing to be faster than you're used to, then, um, well, you're in for a ride, buddy. Yeah, that's why I started counting off tunes my uh, junior and senior year, because I knew I was going to start the right tempo. <laughs> and I Not got really. tired of people counting stuff off fast, and I was like, you, I, I couldn't handle it. So I would sit there and I would do the, you know, whatever, because I knew I was going to count it off at the right tempo because I'd practice it. It's like I, I knew I'd have it in my head and I'd sing the melody in my head and I knew exactly where we wanted it to be so we wouldn't rush through it. Now, every now and then, I'd start it off too fast, but that was mostly because I liked playing some, some like song for my father. I like playing that song fast; it sounds cool. But remember yeah, that yeah, time yeah, I counted that too fast for Andy? That was. I think that was, that was a time that I wasn't actually there. I think I remember uh, it. That that you said 
that you started it way too quick and he was just like oh my goodness yeah and i was like oh thank goodness that i didn't have to play the melody on that even though i can play it pretty quick now it actually lays out really well on guitar yeah what i when i learned that melody i learned to fake it because i listened to victor Wooten play and he faked it he didn't play all the notes so i was like well screw that if he's not gonna play all the notes then i don't have to play all the notes (laughs) i think i can understand that because for me it's easy because it kind of just right up the uh to the top string and it's right. really quick and easy, but you don't have that top E string on the bass. So I don't. Yeah. Exactly. It, that would be really tricky to lay out. Yeah. I don't know yeah. because I don't do lead stuff on bass. So I don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about there. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's besides the point. <laughs> yeah. I just um, know how to write two bass lines. <laughs> right. A couple of strategies I would offer for people that are dealing with stage fright and anxiety was the trust your training thing, but also as much as I love music and as much as it's important to me and my a lot of my life revolves around music, I don't get my value and my self-worth from how well I play. So if I don't play yeah. well for a song, it's not going to affect how I feel about myself the next day. I'm still going to be who I am. I'm still going to be the same exact person whether or not I play it right or play it wrong. And so if it's not great, it's not the end of the world to me. Of course, I want to play it perfect, but I'm not going to feel worse about myself if I don't. Um, And that just comes from being confident in who you are. Uh, I can't really tell you how that happened for me. Just over time of practicing and, you know, I work a day job where I have to talk to people nonstop. (laughs) If I don't talk to people, then I don't make any money. So... I have to had to get grow up pretty quick and get very confident in what I have to offer. So I know if I'm not playing it perfect, I'm still the same person that I am, you know, and I'm not going to lose that sight of myself, you know, just because of a couple mistakes here and there. Right. Like uh, at the recital performance, all of us teachers have to, uh, or have to, we get to uh, perform our own stuff a couple of times <laughs> over the course have of to, the, uh, to, the couple you know. days. And, um, which, which I appreciate and it's fun. And, um, the morning, uh, it was, it was 11 o'clock, so it's not like it was late or anything, but the, uh, the evening before my wife had to go to the ER for, uh, for reasons. And, um, I didn't get to go to bed until 3 a.m. on, uh, the day before a whole batch of recitals. So I got there in the morning and it's, uh, 1030 and I pick up the program and I was like, Oh, I'm playing in this recital. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I get uh, up there on stage and, um, and I just decided I was going to do the chord melody of round midnight because that's always just a trusty thing that I can play with my eyes closed. If I'm sleeping, Apparently not entirely though, because in the middle of it, my fingers slid up the uh, fingerboard to hit a uh, a note, and they went so much farther than they were supposed to. And before hitting the note, I stopped and then went back to where it was supposed to be and actually kept playing. But I just didn't realize how exhausted I was until that point where my fingers didn't listen to me at all. And uh, it didn't really sound that much like a mistake, but I know that five years or so ago, that would have been devastating. I might have had an actual anxiety attack on stage at that moment 
But now I'll chalk it up partly to how tired I was. I did not care at all and just kept on playing and ignored it. And afterwards, I told my boss, I, I know that I don't have to be in the next recital, even though I wanted to take pictures and hear some of the other teachers play, but hopefully they'll get to go again. I need to take a nap in my car because <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize how how uh, how just pooped I was. I mean, the, the right. night before that was uh, high on the social scale, and if I socialize too much, my energy plummets. So <laughs> I didn't really uh, understand until I was up there on stage that, I, I was done. I'd run out of energy. And uh, I was going to play a very short solo, and I quickly decided I wasn't even going to play the B section. <laughs> right. I was done. I can understand so that. That was that. <laughs> and um, But the point is, is that it's not like afterwards my boss came up to me and was like, what the heck was that? I thought that I hired someone that was good at guitar. No, 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 no. <laughs> Instead, she laughed and was just like, I'm so sorry that you didn't get sleep last night. Like People yeah. do not actually judge you based on those mistakes. What they judge you on is the, uh, the good sides of it and your personality. Like That's really what matters is becoming a better person. And I've known a bunch of people that are good players, but they're just jerks. And I can't enjoy yeah. their playing because of how rude they are or how, or how arrogant they are. And a lot of the time, it shows in their playing. So even if they're technically good, I can't enjoy their music because they just have a terrible attitude next to it. So right. um, another thing that's very important to remember, and I tell all of my students, is if you're nervous, that means you care. The day that that's you true. aren't, the day that you aren't nervous about your performance, that means you don't care anymore and you need to reevaluate your thinking and actually remember why you're playing the music. Like You need to care. And you're going to feel nervous about things before you play because you need to care and have a heart for it and you're bearing your soul to this. And if you're going up, sta up on stage and you don't care at all and you feel nothing, then you just might not be in the right place or the right mindset. Like I struggle to feel nervous before I start playing on the worship team where the music is so easy to play that uh, if I was nervous about it, that might be another kind of issue. But <laughs> I still feel <laughs> the slight bit of care that um, I still want it to sound good. And I still of get... My feathers ruffled if things are just falling apart. And I'm just like, no, I want it to sound nice. And a lot yeah. of time I have to put it in a different perspective in those instances because I'm playing with people without much experience. Um, and that's a different issue we'll talk about another time. But um, I do want to credit Dr. Brennan for the whole if you're not nervous, then you don't care thing. Because right. that will oh, be yeah. him too. <laughs> But just like what I was saying earlier, the times when I'm not nervous are the time that I make the most mistakes because I'm just not focused about it. You know, I'm just, I'm there and I'm on cruise control, not really thinking about what I'm doing, you know, and sometimes that's a great thing. Some, you know, I'd like, I'd like to be on cruise control when I perform because then I can think about all the other aspects of it as far as my physical yeah. playing. Mm -hmm. But mentally, I'm never, I never want to be on cruise control mentally. Yeah, I, I always like that. Um, especially when we used to play like 
I, I would feel the the performance nerves right before we'd start playing, but after we got it going, it it goes away, and you can just feel laid back. And those were the best performances. I hated the performances where I'd feel nervous the whole time because we were like with people that I wasn't sure I could trust or something like that. Like th- those are terrible. But that wasn't nervous about my own playing. That was just nervous of something turning into a train wreck out of my control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always find the nerves typically for me calm down within the first song. By the time I'm done with that, I'm confident with what's going on going forward. After the first head of a song, gone. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One thing you mentioned, too, about cutting tunes earlier made me think of something. What I would do if I've got the um, when I've got the ability to change my own set list order, the songs that I'm most nervous about, I put right in the middle. Because everybody remembers the beginning of a performance and the end of a performance, but the middle gets lost in translation. <laughs> mm. So it's, if even if you put something there that's perfect and people love it, like they will still end up forgetting that by the time you hit your finale. <laughs> yes, basically all, basically one hundred percent of the time, they remember the first song that you play and the last song that you play, and sometimes not even the first song. Sometimes it's just the last song they remember. Yeah, never, ever, ever put your uh, your crowd pleaser right smack dab in the middle because that's just poor planning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when I did my senior recital and I put Jekyll and Hyde at the very end. did that for two reasons. One, it was the most fun song, but also I wanted to you know pull that new bass out and surprise everybody with that. But looking back on it, that was the song I was most nervous for. I probably should have put that in the middle. <laughs> yeah, but I but still that was such feel a like show that was stopper. <laughs> yeah, that that one was that that was a weird uh, day. That and that was the hardest technical tune I was playing as far as my electric bass playing. But yeah, but you were playing it really good. Like I was not nervous yeah. for you on that one. It was the fact that for some reason the band was just getting lost every time for some reason because you and i had been playing it and we we're doing fine you yeah, weren't we making any mistakes nonstop. and then we got up there and people just it got turned lost. To a train wreck yeah that it was know, it was very weird was, that happens a lot it, it does and you know i just kind of smiled and went with it yeah yeah that was unfortunately yeah. a song that getting lost was turns into an unlimited loop sometimes train yeah. wreck well, that's why i turned around to the group and it was just like all right one two, three, and, you know, because <laughs> I was like, oh, no, this is not going. But I had, I, there were two experiences I've had recently that I wanted to share that really shaped my view on this whole stage fright, so uh, anxiety thing. Um, both of them have to do with Victor Wooten and Anthony Wellington, funny enough. Um, the first one was, um, the, the most recent one was I was watching a video of Anthony Wellington teaching. And if you've never listened to him teach, you should. He is an amazing teacher. I love him because he's so honest. He just flat out, like he just told this guy, he's like, he goes, no, you didn't play it right. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, yeah. He's like, no, he goes, the reason you didn't play it right is not because it's hard. It's because you didn't listen to me. And I was like, oh, man. But that's not what I was going to talk about. I just thought that was funny. Um, but what he said, he goes, he's like, man, I'm a grown man. I have the right to make a mistake every now and then. I have the right to not know something. If I don't know something, it doesn't change who I am. If I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. He's like, I'm a grown man. It's not going to bother me. And I heard that and I'm like, man, you know, he's right. I can be wrong every now and then. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) 
that was such a simple thing, but I don't know why it impacted me so much. I'm like, you know, that's very, it makes sense. makes perfect sense to me. No matter what, we're always learning. Oh, exactly. You'll, especially as a musician, you'll be learning from now until the day your fingers stop working. Uh, It'll never change for you. Mr. Spencer Um, still works on songs. So, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, in jazz, and there's so many things you can try that you'll never be able to, you'll never try everything. As much as you think you might have, there's always something new you could do. What's depressing? You could do, yeah. <laughs> well, remember what, um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is kind of depressing, but it's also really exciting at the same time. Um, remember what Rob Nanton used to, pra- how Rob Nanton used to practice all the time? He would play his scales and his, um, his melodies, all that stuff, his chord progressions, he would practice everything with both hands being a tritone apart from each other. I have no idea why, but it sounded cool. <laughs> but man, that dude could play anything you put in front of him. It was crazy. Or anything he heard. Yeah, anything um, he heard, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't read that great. I don't know about now, but at the time, I know he, but anything he heard, that made me so jealous, man. Anything he heard, he just could do. Um, Oh, but the other thing I was going to say was when uh, my wife took me to go see Victor Wooten and um, Dennis Chambers and Bob Francisini play this past year, I was, first of all, I was blown away by how good that they were, but I was also super comforted because they made mistakes. I mean, these are three of the best jazz musicians in the modern age. You can't get a whole lot better than Dennis Chambers or Bob Francisini. I mean, these guys are phenomenal and they made mistakes. And one, some of them were huge mistakes. Like Bob or uh, Dennis Chambers was playing the solo, and he's going off, and it's going. And I'm watching Victor Wooten, and he's kind of moving his head to where the beat would be. But you know, Dennis Chambers is playing all around with time. You can't even find beat one anymore in his playing. And the next thing I know, Dennis Chambers realizes that he doesn't know where beat one is anymore, and so he just kind of <laughs> stops playing and just goes ah, and then goes straight back into it again. And uh, it was awesome because all three guys up there were just smiling and laughing and having a great time. It was it was a blast. I it was you know it was so cool. And then watching Victor Wooten play, I mean, there were a couple times he was doing this thing with a looper pedal where he was trying to play chromatically, so he was like bup, 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 and um, he messed up one of the notes and he played it in the played the, the wrong beat, and so you heard. You know, because he played too close to too too close to each other, and he just smiled and kind of just kind of shrugged his shoulders and just went with it. I mean, he he can't fix it now, you know. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, that's the issue with loopers. That was just exactly. It was just so remarkable to me, and it it made me feel better about myself as a musician to hear some of these legends that I look up to so much that they're just like me. I mean, yeah, they got more technique than I do. They play faster than I do and everything, but they still made the same mistakes that I make. You know, Victor's the guy using, that strings would pop on stage and he'd keep going like nothing happened. <laughs> seriously, I don't know how he does that. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, and he's playing a, a $12,000 bass. I mean, it, and the tone was just massive and huge and it sounded so good. And so, but when your tone is massive and huge and it sounds great, when you make a mistake, that sound, that mistake is massive and huge and everybody can hear it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it was right there, but it was so cool because I remember the mistake more than I remember anything else in that performance because it made me feel better about myself because I realized they're just like me, you know, 
they're they've right. been doing this a lot longer than I have, and they still made the same mistake of losing beat one or playing a note just slightly out of rhythm or forgetting what the head was on a tune. I mean, they made the same type of mistakes. Like it, it was just an incredible experience for me to see that, and so it just made me realize, you know. I have nothing to be nervous about because these guys that do this all the time make the same mistakes that I do. So it's not the end of the world. (laughs) I think that's why it's really important if you want to learn uh, improvising or just grow in it to make sure that you listen to people playing live and um, actually go to performances where you'll hear them live. But look it up on YouTube or uh, recordings of live stuff just because that's the point where they can't cut out what they did and um you'll you'll hear the uh the b track version of the greats like kind of blue where mm-hmm. they could have used that one but they decided they liked what they did on this recording better and um right they could have done that all day every single time recorded a bazillion different uh, takes of a song because of the improvising until they were content with it and everyone's solos sounded good because they can do that. That's part of what making an album is. And I mean, I'd hope it wouldn't take all of them that long and I don't think it did, but that's just part of the point is that they, they cherry picked which track was their favorite, like which time was going to be the best one um, to put that on the album. But when they're live, I mean, what are they going to do? Lip sync themselves? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you make a mistake, you just have to suck it up. And there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes you make bad choices when, when they're live. Like, uh, I remember a few months ago, I shared to you and um, some of the other guys a recording of Herbie Hancock. I think he was playing Chameleon, uh, and he had some guitarist from some band. I can't even remember which uh, guitarist it was. But he then played a solo on a guitar that was really, really, really cool. But some of the choices along the way, I don't know if I'd entirely agree with. Like, um, right. And I'm not saying it was bad, but it, it's certainly like you're used to listening to Herbie Hancock's albums where those solos are, ooh, mm, so sweet. But yeah. <laughs> uh, when you hear people live, sometimes when they're improvising, their choices along the way, it, it takes a little bit to get to the biggest moments of their solo. And some stuff is like, it's fine. It's okay. Like there's nothing that's wrong with it, but it's also not some flawless legendary thing that they're doing. So you don't have to right. feel like every single thing you play in a solo has to be memorable until the end of time so that the angels will be humming it. But yeah oh no i completely get that it's uh it's always fun to you see live performances of greats and it makes a huge difference of how you feel about yourself and how you feel about music in general one thing i just want to remind people is that music is a gift it's not something that's supposed to be perfected you try as hard as you can but it's never going to be perfect because it's not there's not a science to it you know it's emotion and expression and there are times where I purposely play a, a flat seven chord up a, or flat seven note up against a major seven chord because it sounds crunchy and it doesn't sound good. But I sometimes I do it on purpose because that emotion that it conveys, or I'll play a mode over something that doesn't necessarily fit what you would normally play. Like 
you know, just because that sound is what I've got in my head. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Music is a gift. It's supposed to be something that we can enjoy. So you just got to relax, trust your training, take deep breaths, know that you've worked hard and you don't have to be super anxious about this because you, you know, you've put the work in, you're a musician, you got this, you'll be fine. It only gets easier in time. <laughs> exactly. The more you do it, the better it'll get. Just like our podcast, the more we talk, the better that we're getting. Like, I feel like we did better this week than last, but hey, that's for you guys to decide. And um, I'm sure that there's like a bunch of words that we repeat that uh, in time, they'll be like staples. Like, I know that I'm trying to work definitely out of my vocabulary for this podcast, and that's on podcast two. So, yeah, or the word awesome for me, or um. Those are driving me nuts. I keep saying that, but I'll work them out of my vocabulary eventually and start to get says, um, more polished. Yeah, I know, but yeah, I feel like I'm saying it every five words. Robots. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. that's um, true. Um, they don't. They're not thinking about anything. They're just doing it. Well, thank everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Um, please follow us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and. Uh, uh, Podbean. So we're on all of those. Check out our blog. We're going to post Matt's blog uh, probably later on today, um, which today is not the day that we're sharing the podcast. So I guess that's irrelevant. But hey, leave us a comment. Please share it on social media. <laughs> yeah, you'll have read it before this hand. Maybe that won't work. Oh, whatever. Uh, anyways, leave us, drop us a comment. Don't forget, we have the, our submissions link on the website where people can, you can share with us. Um, Anything that you've recorded or that you've uh, that you've written that you'd like us to talk about, we'd love to get to know all of our listeners and what they are doing. So please leave us a comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>